This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. My guest today is Sean Demensik. Hello. He runs the Tradiste podcast and has started a Catholic worker house, which will be the focus of our conversation today. Hi, Sean. How are things going? Going great, Malcolm. How about you? Going all right. Yeah, so... To start with, Sean, what uh, what originally led you to the idea of uh, running a Catholic worker house? Yeah, um, well, the uh, for, for me, um, you know, I had been vaguely aware of uh, you know hearing about the Catholic worker movement as something you know I'd I'd, I'd heard come up in one or two uh, contexts, or maybe you know I saw it referenced in like you know some Catholic writing or something that notes it as like a historical kind of thing. But I think, you know, so it, was, so it was vaguely on my radar, but what really got me, you know, diving into it was um, I was engaged at the time and, you know, discerning how to live well as a married couple with my wife, Monica. And as we were asking a lot of these questions and thinking about, uh, you know, we, we were already uh, due to a lot of experiences and, and some of our own readings and meditations and such had um, come to the conclusion that that we had a need for intentional community um, as as a married couple, and so we were kind of considering how how should we live that out, and you know thinking about different options and uh, reading different things. And I think uh, the Catholic Worker Movement is uh, definitely one of the um, most widespread and sort of diverse examples of. Um, of intentional community in, in Catholic settings, um, in the U S at least. And so that was, uh, and it also really aligned of course with, um, you know, I already started Tradiste by then it really aligned with the commitment to social justice, uh, that we were really interested in, um, to Catholic social teaching, to trying to live that out. And so it was kind of the, uh, the perfect thing for our, where we felt called. And so that's really what led us to, um, you know, learning more about it and ultimately to diving in. Yeah, Sean. So as you were, as you were discerning this, what kind of pushed you to take the final step and actually decide to dive in and open a Catholic worker house? Yeah. Um, well, there was two things, one of which was, you know, we were with the process of starting a new intentional community, you kind of have to start with uh, what you have with the, you know, what, what you've got is your basics. And for us, the key thing that we were starting with was just a small group of friends, really just, um, you know, two other close friends of ours. There was some, some people kind of orbiting, but there was, you know, a few people who were really committed. And so we were having conversations with them and, um, it was really something, you know, that we felt led towards in those conversations and those prayers together. One of them, of course, uh, Elliot, who he, he'd been a Catholic worker for some time. He had actually lived for many years um, just across the country, staying at different Catholic worker houses. And so has a wealth of experience from all of that. And uh, that obviously, you know, having having that connection was a big part of it. Um, but yeah, so I'd say that that was maybe sort of a precondition for, you know, finally jumping in. But um, maybe what really made us finally, uh, you know, really feel confident about beginning was uh, my wife and I went on this really amazing retreat um, it wasn't an institutional retreat or something like it's not something that was run every year. It was just a friend put it together. It was a one-time thing. 
and re- it was really incredible. And he he's interested in he's working on starting an, an intentional community himself, um, hopefully a sort of farming community out um, a little farther west in PA than than we are here. Um, but there was a whole bunch of families who attended and were all really. Some, some of them had several kids. Some of them were recently married. Uh, so we were, you know, engaged there. There's a couple single people, but it was all people who were just coming together with a deep desire for community and for living out the gospel with a real need for that, recognizing that the way that they had been living out the faith, it wasn't enough for either their children or, or just to nourish their own spiritual lives. And so um, I, I'd say that that retreat and the conversations, the the prayers, the reflections, it was really kind of what what confirmed uh, that that was where God was calling us. Yeah, and then on the on the practical side of things, um, you know, how how did that work out? So you had, I suppose, to own a house that would be suitable for running a house of hospitality. How did how did that work out? Where is the house located, and how did like I'm considering like a local uh, zoning issues around having lots of people in a house and affordability and all these different obstacles that might come up to to keep such a thing from happening. Yeah, I'd say uh, logistically, it was really, you know, the the housing one wasn't as much of an issue in that, um, you know, we, we kind of just started small, you know, we didn't have intentions for anything super big. We actually, I mean, my wife and I closed on a house recently, which will be the second house in our community. But the one that I'm in right now is uh, still being rented. So we're just renting this house. Um, and, you know, we got it, uh, you know, to, together. It's, it's it's someone that we know. And so um, w- while it's, you know, not from like a church or a Catholic worker themselves, there's uh, at least some, you know, uh, it's a little bit more workable, you know, in, with that situation. And um you know, we, we found the place and it worked out, you know, started uh, renting here. And I'd say the the key thing logistically, maybe less so than um, just finding a place to, to rent and, and all that was, uh, you know, coming up with some of the, the expectations and, and just, uh, you know, g- getting clarity about what it would look like to live together. So we had a lot of conversations beforehand, you know, meeting with, um, you know, it was uh, my fiance then and, um, Elliot and uh, occasionally James and some of the others who, who were interested in just having conversations about like, what will our prayer rhythms be? What will our, our meal expectations be? What kind of rules and, um, uh, you know, desires do we have for what it looks like to live in community with each other? So I think those, those are really important to making sure, I mean, and those I think are what were needed for it to be a real intentional community and not just, um, you know, coming into a house together and all sort of doing our own thing or, you know, having that shared vision. Um, we, we wrote up like, you know, sort of statement of principles that we discussed and talked about. None of it really super innovative, innovative or crazy, but it was all really important to giving us the, the sort of peace of mind and clarity that we could uh, just begin um, living that life together. That's interesting because as far as your know, clarifying expectations, because one of my, uh, one of my recent interviews, a community leader was saying that if you, you know, like if, if the group doesn't have a clear vision, um, it won't work. He quoted the, the scripture verse that for lack of a clear vision, the people perish. Um, mm-hmm. But that a, a clear vision ahead of time will forestall a lot of trouble uh, down the road. Um, because otherwise, you know, if, if people are coming into with differing expectations of how this is going to play out, 
it'll probably be pretty messy. Yeah. And it's so easy, you know, when one is beginning to uh, imagine that, that life together, you know, imagine a community to kind of get carried away with one's own ideas of, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this or that? Or, you know, I would, I would love to see this happen or that happen. Um, and that can be exciting. And, you know, not even to say that those ideas are bad, but if they're not shared and discussed, um, and, you know, one, is, one has to be willing to say like, okay, well, this idea, which maybe I'm excited about needs to, to wait and develop. And it's not something we could do right away. It's something we need to, you know, see if it's feasible or, or, you know, maybe this idea just doesn't work out for other people. Other people aren't comfortable with it. And if you don't have those discussions beforehand, everyone goes in with their own expectations and, uh, that can get, you know, really messy really quick. So I think, uh, that those, those meetings were, um, really important and helpful and informative for the, the foundations that we were able to lay down there. It's also something uh, I noticed as you're talking about, you know, like the process, you know, you and some friends have been talking it over for a long time that, you know, like friendship came first. It wasn't like, you know, you uh, drip a blueprint in a void and then hope to, you know, find other people who mm-hmm. subscribe to the blueprint. Um, and that's something I'd like to uh, get your thoughts on a little bit, because back when I started uh, Happy Are You Poor, in the first couple of uh, episodes before I had any guests from intentional communities, we talked about some general ideas. And one of them was that community should be organic. And interestingly, my views actually have been evolving as I've been running this project, as I've interviewed a bunch of really amazing intentional communities. My initial fear of uh, that, you know, that an, a strongly intentional community would always turn into a cult has somewhat lessened. But at the same time, it's interesting that um, I've been noticing as I've been talking to them that uh, quite often there was some more organic uh, stage before the intentionality uh, really came about. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of, uh, you know, back and forth between those things, because on the one hand, you do need that foundation, you know, in, in friendship and in, in being able to trust people and just, you know, kind of have a sense of who they are and and that, you know, you clearly understand them when they're expressing themselves to you and that, that maybe you can understand them you know, even when they, they don't clearly express everything to you and like stuff, little things like that, that you grow through time being friends together is really important. But on the other hand, um, there is an element of like, once, once you have some degree of that, you have to begin hashing out ideas um, and, and kind of using something that is in some ways, you know, blueprint like, and, and so like, you know, it's almost like, uh, yeah, you know, you kind of have to go through the process and always be like going back between those two points. Because if you get too hyper-focused on the blueprint on the plans and, and then the friendship starts to to weaken or, or to not be as much of a priority, then obviously, uh, you know, that that's it can easily be sort of, you know, a recipe for either a really sort of strict and, you know, authoritarian community where someone tries to like impose something on others or just something where... Uh, you know, there's a bunch of different, you know, visions and blueprints that people have in their heads, and, and there's not an ability to reconcile different ideas. But on the other hand, um, I think for us, a, a really important point did start when we kind of went from friendship to uh, be building that blueprint together, because there were unfortunately many friends who we who we were good friends with, and some of them we were actually better friends with than Elliot, for example. Um, and, and he's the other one that, you know, was the f- other first uh, member of the house. You know, obviously new members have come in and, and guests since then. But uh, 
you know, there were some friends who we had those friendships with, but because they didn't have like much of a vision or inspiration or, or sort of willingness to commit themselves to some shared project, um, you know, ultimately, you know, they, they became less involved with the project. And sadly, you know, um, I mean, just by lack of proximity, you know, where we don't, we don't know them as well now. So, you know, it's kind of, um, yeah, they, they, they have to go hand in hand, you know, the, the, the friendship and the, the building a project, you know, a, a vision, a blueprint, you know, whatever. Um, but neither, you know, if, if you don't have either, then it, it's, you know, you can end up not really having an intentional community. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The, uh, and then also, um, you know, so you're talking about, you know, kind of a, a blueprint of, of sorts for you know, how life is going to work together. Uh, what, um, what does your, your daily life, uh, look like at the house? Um, so our, our sort of current rhythms are, uh, we have a Monday night community meals. We have uh, Friday, um, Friday evening, um, round table discussions, which is kind of a Catholic worker tradition. Uh, Peter Marn called it the clarification of thought. So those will be different topics that we have, um, you know, and then we just have people over and, and have a sort of discussion about them. Um, and then Sundays, we kind of have informal socials in, you know, afternoon, morning, evening, again, it depends on the day. Um, often just inviting people over from church and people know that they can kind of just show up um, on, on Sundays. So I'd say those are our main rhythms. And then, uh, or at least like our rhythms, you know, extended out to other people and with, with people often coming in. And then as a house as well, we have, uh, I'd, I'd say one of the key things that really holds things together is uh, Vespers, is having evening prayer together as a house. Um, and that's not every night. And there's not really a clear, uh, you know, expectation of it's it's always going to be this night and that night. Um, not that we wouldn't love that, but it's, it's in part just due to the limitations of our work schedules and, um, you know, our various uh, duties and, and activities. But uh that's something that definitely happens more nights than it doesn't. And is really, a um, a real blessing. Yeah. You know, um, during, uh, the COVID pandemic, my family and I have taken to, uh, praying the liturgy of the hours together on a much more regular basis. And it is a wonderful thing to do as a, as a group. I'm curious as to, uh, you know, as far as, you know, a bunch of different people living in the same house, uh, what kind of boundaries are there between, you know, like private, space and public space, um, you know, because most of the communities I've talked to um, have not actually been sharing the same physical building. And so that's kind of interest of mine as to how, you know, how that plays out in a community setting. Yeah. And I'd say part of our, uh, I mean, part of it's, you know, by necessity in that, um, you know, by not having, you know, this is, I definitely think a, a strong part of the Catholic worker tradition, you know, it's often people under one roof, not that there aren't, you know, multi-building Catholic workers, but it's a common thing in the history of the Catholic worker. And um, there's, there's real potentials that it opens just in the fact that, uh, you know, it's cheaper, you know, you have, you have, uh, you, it's easier to do, you know, to start with a smaller amount of people, a smaller amount of capital and, and such. Um, and, and there is a lot of proximity that's provided, but um so those are, I do want to just identify as, as real benefits of it, but definitely um, I, one of the things that's of course a struggle is it is tighter space. And for, I mean, mo- pretty much, yeah, everyone's there was, there's only one room that we have that isn't shared. Um, 
and currently it's kind of in flux, but there, you know, there's someone there, but other than that, all the rooms are, uh, all the rooms are shared. So I think that like, having, having the, you know, rooms, bedrooms be kind of a, you know, definitely more of a private space and really respecting boundaries there, you know, people, uh, you know, very much have that as their own space, you know, you knock on people's doors and, and that kind of thing before you would go in. And so, uh, the public spaces are more public. So, you know, you kind of have those expectations that if you're in the public space, you expect people to be in and out of, of the kitchen or the, you know, the living room and such. But, uh, you know, if you're, you're in your own room, then you have a little bit more of a, a private space and expectation of that. So I'd say that's, that's probably the main thing. Um, obviously we don't have any really big families, you know, with, with lots of like young children around yet. Monica and I are recently married. And so, um, that's too something that I'm sure will develop. And it, you know, part of the reason we got uh, the second house is to expand the size of the community. And we're hopeful eventually to, um, to, to have, acquire more houses. The, the row homes here in the city aren't very big. So um, that I think will hopefully allow for more, uh, especially you know, as we start to have children or families to be integrated more easily. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, like that, that's interesting because so one of the takeaways I had from reading the early history of the Catholic worker is that oftentimes there is this tension between trying to integrate families and then the, the mission of hospitality and outreach. Uh, there was a lot of struggles about that around that uh, early in the history of the Catholic worker. Yeah, the I mean, really, a lot of it comes down to children, you know, because if you're doing, um, you know, more radical hospitality, you know, and having you know, like if you're having people come in from the street and, and they can, you know, they can sleep somewhere, you know, if you, uh, you know, have random people who are in need coming in, then you have concerns about um, children's safety oftentimes is, is really one of the biggest things. Um, and, and there's some, uh, there's actually a Catholic worker family, um, the Cornells, who have, you know, been part of the movement for a long time in New Dorothy Day. And, uh, uh, you know, I know from their family, and, and they, they've had several kids and sort of raised them in the Catholic worker movement. And so I know for them, when they did have um, children and young children, they had to kind of back off of some of the more radical hospitality that they were doing, still still doing the works of mercy and hospitality, but just not quite as, uh, you know, uh, oftentimes at the Catholic worker, you do have just a, something great, very beautiful, great willingness to... Um, to just be sort of uh, totally hospitable to, you know, whoever comes and is in need. And that often means doing a lot of uh, really difficult or, or messy work um, that often kind of gets relegated to, you know, more like bureaucratic nonprofits and you see, you know, uh, individuals often kind of shine away from. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely an important balance there. And I think for ourselves, we're definitely um, just you know, trying to recognize our, our the limits uh, of our capacity and doing what we can within um, within our needs, within our context. Could you tell us a little, you know, like you're, you're mentioning the works of mercy. Can you t- tell us a little more about the outreach and hospitality that your house does? Yeah. Um, one of the key things is uh, that kind of came to us at the very beginning. You know, we weren't sure exactly what, you know, the works of mercy were a core value for us, but as far as uh, like how we were going to do that, that was kind of up in the air to some degree. Like we had various ideas, but God sort of uh, gave gave us opportunities right at the beginning. There was 
um, for people who we were connected to through our parish who all needed housing. And it was the exact amount of space that we had. Um, and so that's, and that, and that happened like just weeks after getting together. So we went from being, you know, three people, um, to there was one other member who joined and then those four guests to being a full house, um, within just a few weeks of, of moving in. So it was really, uh, providential, I think, um, and definitely gave us some guidance for, um, you know, wh where God wants us to, to go. So we've been kind of doing, like I said, you know, providing housing, um, you know, a, a sort of a, a low, uh, you know, starting off really with, with no contribution at all and, and um, just a small contribution from guests and uh, rather than, um, you know, any kind of rent or anything like that. Uh, you know, expectation around chores and, and stuff like that. And ours has been definitely more long-term. So it's not like a nightly shelter type thing. It's, you know, the, those who we have as guests are, um, you know, people who are going to be here, not necessarily for, you know, super long time, you know, however long they want. Yeah. So, so that I think is, uh, you know, what it kind of looks like for us. And obviously we've done some other, we often have people over for meals and, uh, um, you know, when we can, we, you know, take some food to, uh, the Vins park here in the city, which a lot of homeless people, um, congregate there. Fortunately, our city has pretty good, um, meals and everything. Like there's a lot of, uh, free meals that various churches in the city provide. So that's, that's kind of, um, what our, what our outreach has looked like. And, um, we're really hopeful that eventually we could do, do more. Um, part of it is that all of us currently work. Um, so we're not able to spend like, you know, our full time doing ministry or anything like that. Um, but that's definitely a hope to expand what we do as we have more members and, uh, you know, more time and, and availability. Yeah, it's very, very inspiring. You know, it's something that I would, would love to do, you know, sometime in the future to be able to take people in because, you know, so often, it's, it seems so wrong that people are homeless when so many homes are standing empty or so ill-used in the United States. Mm -hmm, certainly. And, you know, Peter Marin's uh, vision that, you know, like every parish should have a hospitality house is, is such mm -hmm. an inspiring and beautiful one. Uh, such, a, yeah. such a great thing if that came true. Yeah. And, and we're right. One thing that's a real blessing for us is that we're right next to our, uh, parish here and so you know we're like a three-minute walk away from the church and obviously with COVID it's been difficult it's been uh you know just hard for the parish to do anything in general but as uh restrictions lift and um uh, we're really hopeful that we can be involved with our parish be of support to them in in whatever way possible and um yeah just kind of uh help organize the opportunities for community in the sort of physical neighborhood around, around the parish here in the city. So, um, yeah, that, that's definitely a real, a real hope of ours to get more integrated with the parish. What, you know, when you were going into it, I'm sure you had certain expectations and, you know, a certain imagination of how this was going to look. What, uh, imagination or expectations, you know, didn't pan out? What was different than you expected it to be? Yeah, um, uh, a few things, but one of them is definitely on, on the Works of Mercy front. You know, the Dorothy's description, you know, reading all of that of, of how the original Catholic worker started is, is super inspiring and really beautiful. And, um, you know, she describes how it all just kind of like came together, you know, like they started out with this, you know, the Catholic worker newspaper. And then, you know, they had like, you know, there was a house donated to them early on and they had people 
coming to them all over. You know, they had like, you know, new members, you know, volunteered there. They had guests who were in need coming to them. They had this, you know, soup line and everything. They had donations coming in that they were able to sustain it all. And so um, I think something that's, you know, just been been necessary is, is kind of curtailing some of those uh, expectations of, um, you know, something kind of miraculous like that happening. Because like, I would love to do more full-time ministry to be able to do the works of mercy more consistently and more constantly, uh, you know, just, just more of them and, you know, providing for, for more people coming up with more creative ways, finding like what needs there are in the neighborhood more. But, um, you know, working full-time is obviously, uh, you know, like that, that's, and, and I recognize there's a lot of good in that. I think God's teaching me a lot of things and, um, you know, just that, that duty of, of sustaining our community economically and everything. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dreams and visions, um, that I would love to, to see happen. Um, so I I think just being patient, uh, with, with like the slow work of, of our community and, uh, our capacity has been maybe one of the biggest expectations that's needed to, uh, needed to change. Yeah, that takes time. I know that actually that's a, a theme that's come up in, in quite a few uh, interviews with communities, you know, leaders saying like, don't be um, like, you know, like they present what a what a mature community, in some cases, a community that's been going for like mm, 40, 50 yeah. years is doing like, don't get um, discouraged of what we're all doing, because like, it starts slow, you know, in many cases, you know, like, you're, mm. you're not going to, you know, like the next year have it, but that's, that's a good point to bring up. If I could just comment on that, I, I mean, I'm, I listen to, you know, basically every episode of, of your podcast and um, really love, you know, and, and in large part, you know, to inspire and guide, you know, our own thoughts here as a community. Um, and yeah, that's been something that's been really, I mean, really powerful seeing like the communities that are out there and uh, what's existing. And it's that's encouraging to know, especially in a world that feels so, you know, just thoroughly uh hopeless sometimes you know it just seems like you know like where are the you know the the catholic communities where are the the saints of our times and everything um and i think definitely your your some of the people you've interviewed have been uh, a real a real light uh you know in in the the that darkness of just you know so many of our our churches in america that are just lacking um people trying to live out the gospel more radically but I think that that's definitely been like hearing the stories of all these communities that, um, like you said, like they're decades old, you know what I mean? They've, they've been around for a long time. So that's been a real encouragement, just knowing, uh, learning to just kind of trust, uh, the planting of seeds, I think has been an important, an important, uh, thing, you know, that I've learned in this, you know, it's coming up a year now we've been together and, um, yeah, trusting that, trusting that, uh, they'll grow has been so important. Yeah, I'm, I'm so uh, grateful that I was able to interview all these people who really know from experience. You know, like it's experience is nothing like books. I mean, you can you can debate ideas all day long, but these are people who have who have really done it and have mm-hmm. really seen what happens and what can happen, the things that work, the things that don't. I remember I don't remember which one it was, but one of the the leaders I was interviewing was saying, you know, it's it's sad that so often when especially younger Catholics want to try and build community, they often don't think of going to learn from established communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like instead they just try and like dream it up from scratch. Well, that's, you know, like that's a hard way of doing it, that, that there are models 
and that and that you know like there's all this wisdom out there so I'm, I'm really grateful that i just kind of fell into this position of being able to hopefully make some of these uh some of this experience a little more accessible uh to people yeah yeah on the um you know that's that's part of why like as we were discerning all of this that we decided to just kind of uh dive into the catholic worker movement you know because uh, like that because it already had you know a model and there's people you know, just being in that, that world and connecting with other Catholic workers. Um, I found, you know, there's a lot of other Catholic worker houses that are really generously um, supportive, you know, of, you know, if you go and reach out to them and ask them, you know, for advice, for, for guidance, you know, things like that. And so that's, that's been really helpful, you know, just being part of a, you know, a larger kind of thing and like talking to other sort of elders and, the movement, you know, people who've been been around, had these experiences, who can, uh, like you said, share what works, what doesn't. That's that's been crucial. What uh, you know, like you, you mentioned a little bit, but like going forward, you know, like you mentioned, you're buying another house and that you're hoping to buy more. What are what are some of your long range hopes for the community? Yeah, um, I think definitely. You know, as much as you know, I mentioned uh, trying to curtail expectations earlier. There is this interesting, you know, and an important dialogue between, uh, you know, not not expecting too much, you know, trusting trusting the slow work of God, but at the same time, uh, having a vision and and having a really, I think I think the gospel does really require us to have a a very a very radical, a very bold vision. You know, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so um, I, I think that. Uh, the long-term vision, it's really a, something that, you know, Peter Marin really valued, obviously was the, uh, you know, the farming commune and such. And so having a, having both this, this work here in the city, as well as um, some kind of uh, farm was definitely a goal outside of the city and having kind of like, uh, you know, an interchange between those, you know, being able to have people, you know, go from, from living here in the city, being near the church to going and, you know, farming and in some other uh, community, so that's that's a long term goal, um, and, but a very sincere hope of of a lot of us here. And so there's that the the sort of ideal of um, eventually working the land, and um, also the sort of ideal of the village. So Peter Martin and Dorothy Day they looked a lot to um, the Middle Ages and uh, you know those sorts of uh, the the inspirations of Christendom and and these sort of ancient ways of of living life um of living out community and so the ideal the ideal of like the parish village i think really inspires us like you know the the I, once upon a time in a parish it would be predominantly people who went to that parish living around it um they would be within very short distance you know like a short walk away from the parish and so um both finding people, you know, in our parish who are interested in moving into this community and putting down roots here, and also just evangelizing um, the people in the neighborhood. There's, you know, we have a lot of people who I'd say the vast majority of our parish drives in, you know, and parks in our parking lot, and then they go out you know, to their homes. And so I think really trying to, uh, you know, to relocalize the parish, um, to build up that proximity, which then can allow for just so much more community. I know, I remember, I think it might've been the Alleluia community and, and definitely some others talked about um, on your podcast, how, um, you know, they've got lots of people, Catholics living in community, and they, they very intentionally choose to live close to each other, like in the same neighborhood, in the same block or whatever. And so I think um, 
building up that, building up the kind of, uh, you know, community life, you know, having, you know, socials and festivals and events, having mutual aid so that people both in the parish and in the neighborhood know that when they have needs, um, they can go to each other. They can, they can ask the parish, they can ask their neighbors and building up the kind of community where people, uh, feel very able to do that and know that they will be provided for. Um, that's, I think, really like the long-term vision. And, you know, we're trying to lay the seeds for that. And and hopefully, you know, in, you know, decades from now that that can be accomplished here. Yeah, that's, that has to be the vision because, you know, Christianity needs community. Uh, I just recorded a really interesting uh, a podcast episode that hasn't been published, but probably will be by the time that this episode is published. Um, with a, a professor who's uh, really studied the Benedict option. And he's saying that um, Benedict's original um, monasteries were actually a lot more like villages than later 18th century monasticism uh, would be seen. And that also that he was talking about how, you know, like community is a fundamental part of the Christian life, but because there just naturally was community up until modern times, uh, the church never really had to develop a teaching on it or anything. And, and it's only mm-hmm. just now, I think, that uh, Christians are really starting to look around and realize, like, you know, like they, they've watched, you know, kind of Christianity running into all kinds of trouble in the developed world. And they're finally starting to look around and realize how that's connected to the lack of natural community that just kind of would act as sort of a backstop or foundation for for building, uh, you know, the Christian community. Uh, we never yeah. we never had to intentionally aim at community before because you know like uh, you know like other than like the monastic examples because it was largely there you know yeah i think um something that i really appreciate about the catholic worker movement and that i hope it can be an inspiration for people is that uh you know peter mar and dorothy day they were really inspired by catholic social teaching and they saw the catholic worker movement as a way of living that out um you know, uh, the encyclical that had come out just before the Catholic Worker Movement was started in 1933 was the 1931 encyclical um, Quadragesimo Anno, and it was subtitled um, On the Restoration of the Social Order. And I think there's a really strong sense that the social order of our times is is eviscerated. You know, it's just like the fabric of our society is so torn apart. You know, there's a lack of trust there's a lack of community there's a lack of order in so many different ways and um something that i think that the catholic worker movement can really offer to the uh to the people interested in intentional community and to other uh, existing communities is the just the 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 vision of catholic social teaching and the fact that the critique of liberalism of capitalism of the many sort of forces uh that have torn apart the family that have torn apart community life, uh, you know, aren't like, you know, these, these, we, we so easily like Pope Francis talks about, you know, we have this sort of technocratic paradigm. We accept new technologies. We accept, you know, our, the developments of our economy as if they were forces of nature, as if they were just natural. Um, and you know, then we get to this point that we're in and, and we wonder how do we get here? Right. And so I think having a, having a really keen sense of, um, of what the world is, of, of how it functions, and what, what it ought to be. Peter Marin loved to talk about the need to educate people in, you know, what the world is, what it ought to be, and how to get from what it is to how it ought to be, sort of a, a catchphrase of his. And so I think um, 
that can serve as a real inspiration both to people who are interested in living out the faith more and, and you know seeing the connection between Catholic social teaching broadly and how to put it into practice, but also for existing communities or for young communities especially, I think having a clear head about those things is really important because nowadays, unlike you, like you said, in, in previous times, there's so many forces that are actively trying to disrupt community. And I think even in the past 10, 20 years with the development of digital technology, um, the the ways in which we're so sort of, you know, addicted and, and distracted from other people uh, really is, uh, you know, a, a real danger that we have to sort of actively fight against or we're not even going to notice it, you know, like it, it's just going to consume us. And so, yeah, I think that's a, a really key lesson that, that we've learned and has been a big part of of why we've gotten into it and why we've made the you know decisions that we have. Your you know mention of the Catholic worker as you know focused on social renewal and social justice is uh, you know the Catholic worker was also a big inspiration for me as I started thinking about Catholic community and what it ought to be because too often uh, Catholic community attempts can be self-referential, um, mm-hmm. focused on community as an end, whereas in the gospel you know Christ is definitely building a community but it's a community for mission. It's a community that's supposed to go out and transform the world, um, which will look different for each community, of course. But if there isn't at least an idea that the restoration of society and the spread of Christ's kingdom is a concern that all Christians ought to share, if that idea isn't present, if the community um, is is inward looking, then it will just become like a Catholic suburb. Um, I know, mm-hmm. uh, you know like there's, there's these attempts uh, where you know, Christians realize that they need something different. So they say like, well, all right, all right, I know. Well, well, let's, you know, kind of pull away from society a bit and kind of live our own kind of the good life for ourselves. And mm-hmm. and that seems like in, in looking around at what's happening, that seems to be almost a certain recipe for failure of one sort or another. Yeah. And I think too, you know, like that maybe can work if you've got a bunch of money for, for a time. I mean, I think, like you said, there's a lot of ways that that's, you know, a recipe for failure, but, um, you know, if you don't have the money to, you know, all move into like a little, you know, cloistered suburb or something like that. Um, it's not feasible. Like for, I think for a lot of people in our generation, um, you know, like it can be daunting to, to even just cover one's basics, basic costs. You know, you know, a lot of people are struggling with a lot of, you know, a lot of debt hanging over them or just, you know, don't have a good paying job and such. And I think that the real, you know, what community promises is a degree of, you know, of stability, um, while also not having to just, uh, like put off, living out Christian community. So I think, I think a lot of the mentality a lot of people have is, you know, they say like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe if I am going to live in a community or I'm going to do something like what you're describing, you know, or we'll go off and live in a Christian community. They go, they go out, try to get a high paying job. You know, they, they kind of, um, you know, try to maybe make some investments, you know, they try to flip a house, you know, they, they focus on, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, if, if it becomes, and it, it often is, you know, it's very centered on like, you know, I'll serve the church by doing well for myself and my family. Right. Um, and then I'll have the money to, you know, to help, you know, build up community or, or somewhere in my parish or something like that. But then after you've, you've spent decades of building those habits of 
you know, of, of saving of, of, you know, of, you know, hoarding and, and, uh, participating in all of these, uh, capitalist sort of structures, which, uh, break up community, which maybe require you to move for a higher paying job, or, you know, maybe, um, you know, encourage you to be consumeristic and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, then, you know, you've, you've got a few kids and then, you know, you're worried about making sure that they can do the same thing and go off and get a good job. And it just, it, it builds up this huge cycle. I mean, I think so many Catholic families get trapped in this and th that's kind of why, um, I, I feel like the, the works of mercy, like the service, the mission focus, the outward focus goes hand in hand because, you know, it's, it's a different way of life, but I think it is it's attractive to others, like to people trying to live out the Christian life. And so it encourages people to like band together and do that. And when you're willing to, to band together and, and do that, like, yes, there is a, you know, there's not like the long-term, you know, economic promise of, of success in a retirement plan or something like that. But there is uh, like, you can, you can start doing it now, you know, like, you know, you can start small and you can, um, by being willing to be sort of outward focus and, and serving others uh, can become a, you know, a, a place for, um, you know, that, that people are willing to support. And I, I think God's blessing is going to be with communities that, that do that, you know, cause I mean, God takes care of his people. And, and so if one is, you know, living out the Beatitudes, if one is, is striving to do that, um, he'll take care of us. And, but he doesn't necessarily promise to do that if, uh, you know, we're kind of living by our own plans and not um, taking care of, of his beloved poor, which is like so central to the gospel. I know it's amazing how Catholics can, can and Christ, other Christians too, but Catholics, Catholics uh, do it quite a bit, how they uh, can really go, go into all these convolutions to justify a life of wealth and privilege and of ignoring the poor. Um, mm -hmm. buying into a sort of health and wealth gospel in which, you know, wealth is a sign of God's blessing and poor people must be poor because of their sins or some such, uh, which is, you know, has nothing to do with the gospel at all. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, like having to, you know, like, oh, having to make sure the kids are just as successful or more so than I was. And that, I think that holds a lot of people back, actually, because mm -hmm. I, I've actually heard people saying it's like, well, but like, I have to make sure my kids are successful. And like, mm -hmm. meaning what? you know, is a question that they often don't, uh, don't seem to have uh, considered. But yeah, yeah. that, you know, like, that's, I think, you know, even though my podcast is a project focused on intentional community, uh, the reason I chose to name it Happier Report is because of this dynamic we're talking about that without an embrace of a certain amount of poverty, uh, community, even if it does succeed, will be undesirable from a Christian standpoint, it'll just be kind of like a Christianized white flight, it'll be out of reach of the mm -hmm. poor and marginalized. It'll just be another privilege. You know, like I, I see that so much that like these various attempts are too often being run on such a kind of suburban plan. Um, you know, like it, they, you know, build their their classical academy that costs, you know, so many thousands per kid a year and get together for their potlucks and stuff with their craft beers and things. But, you know, it's, it's nice, but it has nothing really to do with with the Christian calling. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of desires and I, it, I mean, it strikes on an important point for us, like, you know, for Monica and I, as we're thinking about our future children is that, you know, we do want them and, you know, we want them to have a lot of, we want them to have like a rich sort of Christian um, culture around them. You know, we want them to have, uh, 
you know, access to good literature, to good examples in their lives, you know, to, to a church community and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's, that's something that's, that's really important for us. And, but at the same time, you know, when I look at a lot of those communities, you know, I see, I, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people who have fallen away from them and I don't think that it's just by happenstance or, or, you know, like, you know, their own fault for, for falling away from like, you know, a perfect thing that they've been given. I think that, I mean, I, I know people who, who have fallen away from the church who were in like very good, you know, sort of traditional Catholic communities with like a rich culture around them who, you know, despise what they see as hypocrisy. You know what I mean? And um, I, I think that I'm, I'm in some ways, you know, I'm certainly worried about our, our future children being influenced by the, the world and, and all of the sort of evils in it. But in, in many ways, I'm more scared of our children seeing us, you know, not, not living out the gospel, like not serving the poor, you know, not um, trying to, you know, to, to convert people, to evangelize, to, to, to build up community that, you know, regardless of, you know, I mean, the, like our parish, I think our parish is a great parish. I'm really, we're really blessed to be next to the parish we're at. But um, I'm sure that we could like, you know, drive a long way to, you know, another parish or, you know, move somewhere where we don't have roots to like, you know, another parish that's like more, you know, has a more perfect, uh, you know, more, more opportunities or resources or like a, you know, a, a great co-op or, or things like that. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Like, I'm really glad parishes have them. But I think that like being rooted um, and, and, and our children seeing that, you know, seeing, you know, rootedness to a, to a community, you know, that, that commitment, um, is important, you know, like is, is in many ways, like more important than some of what you might get by having, you know, a more wealthy, you know, uh, model of community and everything. And, and maybe I, you know, like hypothetically, you know, I, I could pursue that. Like I have a lot of, uh, blessings, you know, that have been given, I have a degree and, and everything. Um, and I'm, I could use it to make like a lot more money than I'm making, but it would require not living this life. You know what I mean? Like it, it would require, um, you know, not living in this kind of community, not having the time to do uh, works of mercy and, and being willing to, you know, I mean, like I would need to be putting more money into, I mean, I've been, I've been told like, you know, by people who care about community, you know, about the need to like, invest so that you have like a stable kind of plan and, and all that kind of stuff, I think is just like, you know, it's, it's, it's another model that's often preached. And I think it, it comes in subtly, like people, people even you mentioned, like people who believe in like the health and wealth gospel. I think there's a lot of people who don't even believe in that, but just believe in um, just just have a lot of like that kind of stuff seep into the background, like a certain capitalist mentality about wealth accumulation, acquisitiveness, uh, about consumerism that um, seeps into their life and, and puts blocks in front of them and makes them unwilling to pursue radical community, even if it means giving up a lot of those things. I don't know if that's coherent, but. Yeah, I, I think it is because I, I think it, you're right. I mean, like there are certain Protestant groups that, you know, explicitly hold to a health and wealth gospel, often from a kind of Calvinistic perspective, but uh, yeah, I don't think most Catholics explicitly believe that if you, if, if you drill down, but it's just kind of soaked in. Like they've been told, mm -hmm. you know, like investing for retirement is, is virtuous. It's the thing to do. It's like, um, 
and all these different things, you know, all these different ways of life that are actually presented as virtuous by our culture, and Catholics just sort of accept them uh, along with the rest of the cultural package. When, yeah, like, you know, like it just seems like it seems so natural and uh, it can it can lead to really strange uh, things. I uh, Just recently, I was in a conversation online with some other Catholics, and one of the, them pointed out it was sad that a bunch of billionaires are wasting time and money trying to develop space tourism to put people into space for 10 minutes when people are dying by the millions in India and there's all this hunger and sickness in the world. And immediately one of the other Catholics involved in the conversation, you know, burst into flames and accused him of attacking capitalism. Well, like he wasn't actually attacking capitalism at all. He was just saying, you know, like it's too bad that these billionaires are not putting their money into helping people and instead are wasting it on getting into space for 10 minutes. But this Catholic felt the need to defend these mm-hmm. billionaires and their their idiotic way of life uh, because like that's part of that's part of the deal. You know, like you can't you can't say there's something wrong with that. Well, I, like I'm sure like he'd actually earlier on in the conversation said, oh, here's a place to donate to help the people in India that are suffering right now. You know, like he, he didn't think there's anything wrong with helping the poor, but it's like, well, surely somehow their actions will somehow indirectly end up benefiting the poor. You know, like there's kind of like this this odd need to defend things that no Christian should be able to defend. But yeah. it's because just this background that just seeps in. And so I think that you know, like, things like the Catholic worker can be these kind of touchstones that can help to shock people awake to what the gospel is actually talking about. And I think, you know, the so much of it, like the way we live really forms us, you know, like the choices that we make day to day. And so like, if we you know, can, if we choose continually to like, you know, if we, if we say like, okay, well, you know, I'll, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, devote my money late, like, like when, once I'm, you know, set and once I'm retired, I can like devote myself to the church or something like that. Or like, I'll save up now so that, you know, my kids can have a good future and, and that can be devoted to the church or, or something like that. Like, there's just so many ways in which we, we come up with, you know, like uh schemes for how we should live this like individualistic lifestyle and um it's it forms us like we 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 think like that we can have our cake and eat it like we think that we can live well according to the world standards and be a good catholic and you know have a rich catholic community and do the benedict option or something um but i think ultimately like there is there isn't either or about it like you can't serve god and mammon and so if you are going to you know, live community, um, even, even just on a, on a really personal level, like if you're not building the kind of life around you and for your children, you know, or for, for the other people who live with you or, or whatever, um, that encourages that kind of living, you know, like encourages living out the gospel, um, then like, that's just going to creep in. Like the, the world will just creep in and you can't keep it away just by, you know, like reading Catholic books or having like a great classical education while like those things are great. And again, I hope that I can provide them. Like, I think again, like what's more scary is um, just by accepting like the sort of comfort and, and bourgeois lifestyle that, that so many of us are accustomed to um, that's more dangerous. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what will really, poison us right like you know god god doesn't say like you can follow god you can be a good catholic without being super educated you know and, and again i don't want to you know pretend that i mean i really value that that education and, and you know that you know 
having having that. But um, you, the one thing you absolutely can't do is serve God and mammon. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's an interesting point, too, because I think it, it is true. A lot of uh, Catholic attempts to fix what's wrong with the world or to provide a better kind of way of life are you end up focusing on these kind of superficial elements that can easily be swapped. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of focus on like, on like, we got to change the culture. We got to like educate people. We got to, you know, do X, Y, Z. And they, and again, like not to say that any of those things are wrong per se, but like if they're not founded in turning away from this, this acquisitive lifestyle that we're all living, um, I, I don't see how they're, they're going to make a lasting impact you know what i mean i I don't see how they're going to be able to to really flourish yeah and you know like and i think too you know the attraction is is obviously that it's easy to swap in the superficials you know like it's difficult to actually change the fundamental way of life really difficult uh but it's so easy to swap out the the superficial elements uh someone i was recently talking to said it's like it's as if you you know are trying to grow plants and you try to plant flowers instead of seeds you know like you ignored all the the structure of root and stem and leaf that has to produce the flower of culture. So that these these cultural flowers from a different time are just trying to like the people are trying to just graft them onto a plant that doesn't doesn't fit. Um, you know, uh, we probably should have uh, talked about this at the beginning, but um, uh, could you tell us a, a little bit briefly about the Tradiste uh, project? Yeah, sure. Um, and it's a good as time as any, you know, given the the flow of what we've been talking about here, because that that I think is a, you know, another uh, a big thing that I, I work on. I'm the director of a project called Tradiste, which I co-founded with uh, James, who is, a, you know, a, a dear friend of this community here and will be moving in soon. Um, and uh, the project is uh, really devoted to trying to uh, promote Catholic social teaching. So, you know, it's a, um, there's a podcast of my own, the Tradiste podcast. There's, um, that we have a bunch of easy essays on, uh, the website and those are in the style of Peter Marin. Peter Marin is co-founder of the Catholic worker. And he wrote a lot of his writings in the style of easy essays. They're short, kind of like little bite-sized clips. And so, um, the, the easy essays I have on the website are all 500 words or less. And the goal is to just kind of break down the, the ideas, you know, the encyclicals are often long, you know, some of them can be very difficult to understand. Um, and so trying to boil them down into just simple little uh, essays to provide. So that's, um, that's, a you know, kind of kind of the goal of it. And there's, there's a bunch of other sort of projects and organizing that we do related to the project. But um, th- those are the main things, the easy essays, the podcast, and, and just trying to get out those resources. Because I, I think I truly believe that like, we have in the church's social teaching, um, you know, something that is, you know, is everything we need for the, the reconstruction of the social order, right? Like if we really took those ideas and believed them, knew them, put them into practice, like we could, uh, you know, we could build a, you know, a world where God's kingdom is actually present, where his will is done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. And so, um, that, that I think is uh, a vision that Catholics just don't have. And it, it's, it's, I think Peter Marin really had that Dorothy Day really had that. And it, it saddens me that um, Catholic social teaching is often treated like, you know, kind of like an, in, an interesting, like a, a sort of a curiosity, like, Oh, the church has some, some musings on politics that, 
you can kind of incorporate into your own political beliefs if you want or something like that. Um, you know, we don't treat these things like they, they are principles of the gospels. Like the, the Catholic social teaching is, is essentially, you know, the, the gospel applied to the modern day to, to big political questions. And we're not bereft of, you know, we don't just have to like choose between like mainstream, you know, political ideologues or ideologies. Like we have through, through Peter, through, through, you know, the, the teaching ministry of, of the Pope, we have guidance on these things. So I think that um, really needs to form uh, Catholics more like, you know, how they think politically and, and how they think about the, you know, the world and, and how to change it. That's a, you know, I think the Tradiste project is very valuable in trying to, you know, present the fact that the tradition of the church is a lot more than the superficial kind of level that we've been talking about a little earlier. But part of the tradition of the church is, for instance, a radical care for the poor, uh, mm-hmm. for the worker and all these other things. It's all part of the tradition. Um, and two, I, I think this is a good time to point something out that one of the traps that community can fall into is, is becoming a clique instead of a community base it on, you know, like try to find people who have absolute 100% agreement with one's ideas. And that's that's the thing, like, you know, you and I have had some disagreements about some issues, but that I want to point out here that we can each see one another and our respective projects as valuable and as allies, despite those disagreements, because of an agreement about, you know, certain fundamental values about loyalty to the church and concern for the poor and all these other basic things like you know you have to have some basic unity of vision as we were talking about at the beginning but to me it's a reminder that you know as i think it was tim keller was saying like in your community you're going to have people who disagree about political issues and such and if you let those sort of things divide um you you'll never get anywhere but if in the great tradition here you know of the catholic worker uh, if you continue to have your roundtable discussions continue to discuss the differences continue to hash them up, but never let the, the differences, the disagreements become a division is, I think, really key nowadays for building any uh, Christian community. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the, I mean, something, one thing I think that's important about community life is that like when you're living in proximity and when you're you're sharing meals together, when you're sharing prayers together and stuff like that, you have a point of communion and connection with people that, um, you know, if, if your primary, you know, life, you know, just in general is, is focused on the digital or the, you know, the purely sort of symbolic stuff that we, we have through that, like mediated interface, um, you know, then you don't have like, you, 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 you forget that you don't have that, that community that's just formed uh, that baseline community of being people who are sharing meals, sharing prayers, um, sharing games and, and that kind of stuff. Like there's so many kind of common denominators that you can have when you, you share community life. Um, and, and to that point more broadly, I think, you know, the, the round tables, I think are a great, a, a great way of, of having a lot of these discussions. Cause I think it is important for a community to seek unity, you know, to seek unity of, of ideas in the truth. Um, but you know, the, the beauty of, of the church of, of what we know as Catholics is that we don't have all the answers. Um, we, none of us know everything. Um, and if we think we do, you know, we've, we've gone horribly wrong. Right. And, and 
um, if we think that we are like the, the person who can arbitrate and, and figure out, you know, what the church teaches and what its tradition is and what its meaning is, um, you know, uh, again, we've, we've gone wrong. You know, that's that's kind of the, the central air of a sort of individualistic Protestantism. And so having the guidance of the church, um, you know, the guidance of the tradition that we can, uh, you know, have, have these sources of, of clarity and authority and um, have discussions about them. I think they've been, uh, yeah, that's, that's been a real blessing definitely to hash out ideas and, and just come to a greater understanding of the truth. And, uh, and maybe something I'd love to just briefly comment on is that we have a number of people, like there's an, uh, another intentional community sort of Anabaptist Christians that lives right next door. And, um, you know, we're very good friends with them. Uh, I love them all dearly. And they, you know, there's obviously disagreements there. Um, and, you know, on some of those topics, they, they can be very, you know, heated topics or, you know, you know, there's questions, uh, you know, obviously about like what exactly the nature of the church is or, um, you know, the question of, of sexual morality and, and uh, you know, LGBT issues especially um, can be points of division where I think people can just kind of assume like, well, if someone doesn't agree with me on this stuff, um, there's no way that I could, I could, you know, be in community with them. I could be a friend of them and, and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, when you, when you are in proximity, when you're able to share food together, when you can share prayer together, um, there's uh, share games together, you know, just that those points of human contact and community, th there's so much opportunity there, right. And, uh, opportunity to catechize, to evangelize. I mean, like this is, uh, being being willing to do that, able to do that, is so important because, like, if we if we can't do that, then we're not going to be able to share the gospel. And there's such a need to uh, to do that to be evangelists. You know, there's there's so many people who who uh, you know aren't even have, have really never even you know even in our own country you know have never really heard the gospel. Um, you know, in, in the in the real sense of of the charisma, like you know, Jesus is so much just a cultural character to so many. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a little all over the place, but yeah, just just to say that, yeah, I hundred percent agree that like, I mean, like like we were saying earlier, there can't be that inward focus, you know, or or you know, the idea that like you work kind of a click and you either like agree with all like you know the ideas or you can't really come and hang out, you know, like uh, being able to to welcome people who aren't in agreement and have those conversations, like that's that's how we share the good news. Yeah, you know, Sean, I, I agree. That's such an important part of, of Christianity is not, you know, in one hand, you know, like somehow you have to be, you know, 100% set on finding the truth and holding to it. On the other hand, somehow not letting that lead to um, the wrong kind of divisions, the wrong kinds of, of isolation. In uh, As we come to the end of our time here, uh, is there any you know, like key insight kind of more, more practically oriented that, you've gained from your uh, founding of this Catholic worker that you'd like to share with the listeners here? Well, I, I'd like to definitely, you know, for anyone who's, who, you know, is interested in the Catholic worker to, you know, encourage them to, you know, be in touch, you know, either with, with me or you know, other Catholic workers, you know, in there, there's lots of houses across the country and they're often interested in being in touch. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the Catholic worker, I think, is a great, I, I mean, I do share that dream of a Catholic worker house at every parish. So, you know, I encourage anyone who's on the edge, go and do it, you know, start a Catholic worker house at your parish. Um, and also, I think definitely an insight is that, um, 
uh, maybe maybe two of them. One is that you know you can start small. You know you don't have to have you know twenty people who are all fully on board and and like a million dollars that you can put down to you know a, a big project or something like that. Um, you know, like in a community can start again, ours started with myself, my wife, and, you know, one other friend. Um, and it's grown considerably since then, you know, we've had a full house of eight people for some time and we're, you know, looking at, you know, hopefully in this coming year, we'll have, you know, two full houses, um, you know, but between both of us, we have you know new members who have come and gone. We have guests who have come and gone. So, you know, it, just beginning that space, making it intentional, opening it up to anyone who can using resources like parish. You know, we, we started the project by sending out a bunch of emails to like people who were, you know, who we thought might be interested in, in being involved in some way or joining us in, in living out community life. So being willing to start small, and that includes, I think, starting with, you know, some degree of voluntary poverty, being willing to say like, you know, we're, we'll live sparingly, you know, we're not going to have XYZ, you know, we're not going to be focused on, on putting money you know, in a, you know, in an investment account or, or something like that, you know, we'll, we'll make do with what we've got. Um, so I think that's definitely a key thing. Like, I think, you know, the average person, uh, I, I mean, a family is a big consideration, like family can be a limitation when you want to have lots of small kids. But even then, you know, if you just have you know, someone in your parish, you know, a single person who can come and, and live with you, start community life, like, I, I just really encourage people, I feel like, in some ways, it's just so desperate a need that, whatever you can do is important. And you were, you had a really good point earlier about like the church hasn't really had, uh, you know, a need in history to develop like teachings on the necessity of community. Cause it was kind of obvious. Um, you know, that's, that's so necessary. Like it, it has to happen. And, and it's like to, sh to live out the gospel to share the gospel. Like if we don't have, if, if Christianity, if Christians, if Catholics don't start doing this, um, in, in great numbers, you know, like we're going to see the continued trials and declines in so many levels, whether it's, you know, uh, secularism, hostility towards the faith or just the intensity of, you know, of, of poverty, of, of oppression, of um, all the sort of ails of our society, you know, have to be willing to, to commit to that. Um, so, so maybe that, that's one insight. And I, I'd say the other is um, just that, uh, commitment to a parish can be really, can be really powerful, you know, like being near a parish is, I think, such a blessing. Like there's something, I think there's real grace in, um, you know, just being within walking distance of a parish, being under the shadow of its spire, um, that, uh, that that's really, I think, really valuable. And it, it opens up our opportunities. And I think there's so many parishes that are dying, you know, for in one way or another that are bleeding members that, um, you know, have a bunch of families that aren't at all committed to community. And then, you know, when those kids, you know, maybe get a less than perfect catechesis and go off to college and, uh, you know, they don't come back home, you know, maybe, maybe they stay in the faith, maybe they don't, but the parish doesn't have, have real roots, you know, real families that are, that are committed to it. So I think, um, finding ways to, to, to lean into our parish communities and, um, both support them and, you know, find connections in them of other people who want to be involved. And of course, just, uh, you know, praying that, you know, you'll, you can, you can find, you know, hopefully have a pastor that's, that's supportive, but, 
um, yeah, just being patient about that and hoping that, you know, God presents opportunities there, but, but first making that commitment and then, you know, waiting for his blessings. I think those would maybe be my, my insights, points of advice. Um, and definitely maybe last thing is just read, you know, like, you know, listen, listen to Malcolm's podcast. There's lots of great <laughs> yeah, stuff that are yeah. inspiring. Um, I, I think, you know, going through the backlog of those and I know that reading, like Loaves and Fishes, that's a book by Dorothy Day, reading the Bruderhof book called The Community, uh, Eric Brende's Better Off. There were so many books that were just incredibly formative um, and that gave me what I needed to um, to, to really feel confident that, that this is, you know, God's call and that, that I could could live it out. And um, praying with those with other people was, was so important. Yeah, you know, thanks, uh, Sean. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. And thanks so much for coming on here and, you know, giving us your experience. I'm really glad to hear it. Really enjoyed hearing about your progress. So thanks. Thanks again for coming on and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully I can check in in 10 years when we have a thriving parish village. Yeah, it'd be great to hear about it. Awesome. God bless you, Malcolm.